welcome to this week's VFX show. I'm Mike Seymour. This week, uh, we are looking at Westworld, both uh, old and new. And in fact, it's just myself and Matt Wallen. How are you, Matt? I am really good. I'm, I'm uh, vacationing uh, for just a couple days. Uh, we just finished midterms at the university, and so I've got a couple days vacation. I'm in North Carolina in the Outer Banks at the beach for two days, and the weather is, is pretty, pretty glorious, I have to say. Well, uh, I've been also uh, doing stuff and uh, unfortunately that's meant that I haven't had a chance to record. I made a couple of uh, attempts to record but it's been really hard coordinating uh, schedules. So we just thought we'd go ahead today uh, because I'm so keen to talk about Westworld. I, um, I'm going to get this off my chest right up the front. I've not been this excited about a program since like Game of Thrones Series 1. I think this is like <laughs> quite possibly just the most excited I've been about a TV show and I just can't remember how long. Um, I'm fascinated by this show. But anyway, that's me. What about you, Matt? I totally agree with you. Like, I, I, I mean, I've, I've been loving for the last few years. I've been loving all of the great stuff that's come out. Like, uh, on whether it's on a Netflix original series or there's been a couple great Hulu series. There was even a, a show on uh, I think it was on Cinemax or Stars or something called Quarry that I started watching. It was great. I mean, there's so much great TV. Um, it's all the great stuff of like independent cinema. But then Westworld, when I saw they were going to redo it, I thought, oh, that sounds kind of cool. Like I always loved the idea of Westworld. I'm not, well, we can talk about the original movie some too, but in the, um, uh, but I, I, as soon as it, uh, I saw the date that it was coming out, I, I made, uh, you know, no plans that night and watched the premiere and I'm just totally hooked now. I've seen the first three episodes and I think it is, just spectacular. It reminds me so much of um, the kind of uh, it's, it's very ex machina esque in terms of the the themes that are being sort of explored. Oh, absolutely! It's just terrific. I mean, look, there are a couple of shows I really, really love to death. I love Orphan Black, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I certainly love uh, Westworld. But, but I've got to say, in some shows, and I'm going to say uh, House of Cards. I can't get behind any character. I can't, you know, root for anyone because no one seems to be very good. They have, no one has any redeeming characteristics left. Yeah, they're all bad. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so this one that works at that level. The next level I like is I, I do have very fond memories of the original Westworld from when I was a kid, and I'll discuss that in a second. And at the third level, there has never been um, such an explosion of AI and serious AI. Uh, as we've had in the last sort of three or four years. And so it's completely relevant to just so much of the stuff that I'm either researching, um, otherwise uh, investigating and writing about, or just personally interested in. And so if that wasn't enough, this feels like it's picked up um, on some great elements of other things in TV, um, not least of which is like, say something like um, Lost. Lost felt like mm-hmm. it was really a good idea, but rushed, and they didn't know where they were going with it. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? And this feels more like a Battlestar Galactica kind of thing where somebody's gone, okay, that was kind of cheesy when they made the original, but some really interesting threads we can get here. And you know what? Um, I'm going to actually have an idea where this is going, not just rush out the first couple of eps and then try and kind of fill in the backstory to make sense of stuff. And you feel like they've jumped the shark and and there's nowhere. I feel like this has, um, you know, a really good uh, kind of, understanding of what they're doing they, they haven't sort of rushed to get there and that we're gonna get into some conspiracy theories i'm sure but it's just spectacular how um have, how deep have are. you seen have you seen more than just the first three episodes i no, i've only seen the three yeah 
Um, okay, yeah, I wasn't sure if maybe like you had any kind of press press uh, screeners or no, anything like that. By the to time sort we get this a, out, episode four will go, and I may I may even if you've already heard this, I may have already spoken. I may have to jump on if something happens um, either at the beginning or the end of this uh, podcast. If four radically changes uh, our world view, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's what's so interesting is like so far after three episodes, like it feels like I think your analogy of comparing it to the the Ronald D. Moore sci-fi channel um, reboot of Battlestar Galactic, I feel like that's spot on. Like it definitely feels like it took the original kind of 70s era, um, you know, sort of campy and a little cheesy kind of sci-fi aspect and they've brought it into like the modern era and connected it to so many sort of contemporary um like the developments you're talking about in terms of, you know, artificial intelligence, but also um, the thematic questions and notions about like, you know, uh, what, what makes something, uh, at what point does a machine become sentient and all that kind of stuff? You know I mean? Really interesting ethical questions come into play as well as, as well as, um, you know, things uh, with regards to like the treatment of or perceived treatment of, um, uh, you know, women and something, which is something that's, you know, a big theme right now, at least in the United States with our disturbing uh, election yeah. <laughs> coverage that's been going on in terms of just, you know, you know, women being treated uh, just as equals, you know, and uh, and there's sort of a thematic component to that, although it's masked in this other kind of sci-fi context as well. And I, I think that's a great analogy, though, and, I, and I'm hoping that it's they're able to keep the quality of the show in terms of the writing and the the progression of the story and the, the exploration of um, all those thematic elements, uh, you know, uh, keep it going for the remaining however many episodes there is in season one. I don't know if it's eight or ten or it's a ten season. What and they're already talking about the second series. Um, and the thing oh, that cool. I'm so happy about is when I heard that they were doing it, because let's go back to, to we're obviously going to discuss visual effects and we're obviously going to discuss um, sure. how they're realizing this. But if we go back to the original West World. It felt to me, I had to look at the timeline of that. Um, it's like about an hour and 40 minute uh, film. And for the first mm-hmm. hour, they're effectively exploring the themes of Westworld and setting it up. And then they have basically 40 minutes at the end of just, you know, running. And and I've heard someone else say this. Some of these thoughts I'm drawing on today aren't my own, so I fully disclaim that. But, you know, it really felt like I could see a line from Westworld to Terminator. You know, this idea that there's a robot yeah. that just keeps on coming at you and it keeps on coming. You throw acid in its face, you set it on fire, and it just still keeps on coming. Of course, in 1973, at a one point, I think it was like 1.25 million to make it, it didn't have <clears throat> Terminator 1 or Terminator 2, for that matter, special effects. But that idea of this relentless machine that's emotionless is just going to keep on coming um, was spectacularly um, sort of, you know, feeding into to Terminator. Did you see it in the theater? Oh, yeah. So now I'm old enough that I was like a young teenager, like I was a young boy about the time that it came out. And I don't think I was, I was old enough to see it in the cinema in the traditional sense. I went and bought a ticket. However, I went to um, a boys' boarding school and they would have projected films. Oh, wow, was cool. One of the ones that was projected. And that's how I think I saw it. So I would have seen it a few years after it had come out. I'm not old enough to have seen it in the cinema when it came out. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, I saw it again after that, I'm sure, on television. That's cool. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I saw the original until many years later. I remember reading about it like in the later in the 70s. So if, it, if it came out in 73, I was only three years old. So it was kind of before my, my yeah, real I'll, meaningful consciousness. But I'll confess, I was born in 65. So in 73, I was like eight or something. I was not old enough. But 
when Star Wars came yeah. out in 77 and 78, there was such an appetite for sci-fi that... Films, yeah, so they were digging up all those older exactly. films. Yeah, and, so I think and that's And re-releasing them or showing them on TV. And, so by the time yeah. I came around to being a young adult and... Um, and was at boarding school. They were like, "Well, what what films can we get?" And of course, they would never play first run films because it was a you know school AV club, effectively. So I think somebody <laughs> like there was this film that came out. I think we should watch that. Um, so it was actually it was actually really good. But here's the thing: I mean, obviously, to a pre pre or sort of adolescent boy, there was like enormous overtones of um, I guess we could only describe as sort of sexual fantasy <laughs> for um, a yeah. jaw dropping kind of oh my lord. Um, kind of thing. But what I really like in comparing today's version with that version is this shift to the point of view of the androids or the robots. Absolutely. Um, and that is just a stroke of genius. Uh, and I mean, there is so much to that. It's so rich. It's such an interesting place to be. And every episode seems to add a major dimension to that kind of thing. Totally agree. I mean, I think it's, I think that shift in focus is the key to, you know, the potential success if it continues to sort of be as strong as I think these first three episodes have been, if it can continue on that, on that same vein. Um, it's a very, very rich world to explore. And I, I, the funniest thing, you know, just uh, before we even get into the effects, but one of the funniest things I, I thought was after watching the last episode where, um, the most recent episode where the uh, the yeah. character of Dolores, uh, the Evan Rachel Wood character, where she starts to really become cognizant of the repetition in her daily life. And uh, I've just had the – we were just talking about this before we started recording, but I just had the, the most insane grind at the beginning, the first half of this semester uh, in my 10 years teaching. It was just the most ridiculous amount of work that kind of came on my shoulders uh, this semester. And and my wife and I have been sort of joking around how it's like we, – we're like, what day is it today? Like, oh, my God, I can't believe a whole other week's gone by. And, oh, my God, it's almost already like, you know, the holidays. And like the, everything's been going by so fast because we've been so busy. And uh, I actually found myself after watching the last episode, I was walking upstairs uh, in my house and I started thinking like, am I real? You know, like I almost started having these moments where like my life has become so repetitious, like uh, just in the work schedule. And I think everybody can almost relate to that at some point. You know, if you're working a regular job, especially if you're working an effects job and you get into a situation where you're doing a huge amount of overtime too, you know, and I thought that that was kind of funny that, um, you know, they're even playing off of kind of just the, the routines of everyday life, you know, and it's, but her routine is literally the same, you know, every day, which is pretty hilarious. Yeah. And also, by the way, we're going to get into the visual effects, but like the, the, the quality of the look out the windows of the spaceship uh, or hovercraft or whatever it is flying, you know, the kind of <laughs> video projection outside the windows. I mean, I just feel like so sorry if someone to pull off something at this budget. There were actually things in the first one um, at a – I'm going to get to the visual effects in a second. But at the story point, like there were some really interesting, you know, things. But it had to set it up because I think one of the things, it's really easy to criticize the 73 version as being, you know, totally pathetic, useless and not very good. Trouble was you have to imagine what it was like in 73 when this was just revolutionary and kind of like, you know – just out there sci-fi um, that you would have totally. with robots. And also that it was Michael Crichton's first film, I believe, and it did make 10 yeah. million. Like it made like nine or eight times what it, what it would cost. Um, so, yeah, so there's did really... He, I, don't, I didn't actually do any research for this one. Did he do... How many other movies did he direct? 
Great question. I mean, I know he wrote so many other books and he's written so many other scripts and, you know, he's a really, and TV shows. I mean, he's been, I mean, he's passed away now, I guess, but, but so many of his ideas were so kind of innovative and they, and Jurassic Park thing that went rather well. Yeah, that one was that one wasn't so bad. I mean, some of them are kind of hit and miss, you know. I mean, I think some are better than others. Like Sphere, I've heard is a great book, although I never read it, but it was not a particularly hot picture, if memory no. serves. No, it was a pretty lame, lame film. Yeah, I just wasn't sure if he directed more than just uh, Westworld, or if he'd had other films that he actually um, directed, or if there ones that he wrote and directed too, because he was kind of an interesting figure in terms of his. Um, I mean, he was pretty prolific. You know, he definitely had a, like a, a series of pretty good hits uh, over the years. Yeah, I'm looking up now on IMDb, and nearly everything comes through as as writer. Um, he did yeah. do he did do Looker, and you remember Looker? It was a um, it also I don't had, think I've ever even seen that. Yeah, no, no, it had Albert Finney in it, and it actually had some really uh, revolutionary VFX in it as well. Um, hmm. And uh, it's again, you know, like low budget and kind of whatever. And and there were other things he went on to um, direct and produce, for that matter. But I think by the time we get to the '90s, um, the, the '80s were kind of barren years for him. I think um, he did some writing and directing. Uh, but then you get to like uh, Jurassic Park, which was a novel in '93, and the world just explodes. Right, like Congo, yeah, Easter, yeah, Sphere, um, and and all the other stuff. So, um, timeline. So. Anyway, this is, um, as I say, just a little harsh to judge the, the, the film from today's standards because it just does seem kind of like so lame compared to, um, you know, today. But um, uh, Coma was another one of his, that haunting image of people oh, yeah. by wires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wrote yeah. and directed that and uh, that no, was... That's actually a pretty decent film, yeah. That was 78. It was kind of horror, but I mean, it was just, yeah. Anyway, so... So I think that he, he should be totally applauded and, uh, and given points for just pulling this stuff off. And I've got to say, if you look at the original first ever Terminator, it's kind of lame. Like, you know, the visual effects kind of... Oh, yeah. But you just remember it so fondly because it was so uh, revolutionary. And then, of course, Terminator 2 comes along and it just, you know, you get a halo of, of gorgeousness that sort of filters back onto the original. Um, sure, sure. Okay, so, so that, that film, like had this horrible 70s feel and the characters and the acting and the cinematography, it all just felt like to me a bit like an episode of Charlie's Angels from the 70s. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it just didn't really kind of get there. Um, and that being said, um, the thing I was most worried about is, well, that film devolves into this chase across the three worlds of um, medieval right. Roman stuff. And it's just really like, a you know, can I stop the guy from killing me kind of thing? And it is no accident that it feels like a hundred horror movies because a hundred horror movies are ripped it off. But you know, it's a sort of <laughs> yeah. guy in the hockey mask that's kind of coming after the, that just won't die. Totally. Totally. Um, so, so that being said, I was like, how are they going to solve that problem in a TV show? Cause can we have 10 episodes of them just fighting the robots? That would not be very interesting. Um, right. It'd be like, you know, I get it. And there are shows like that where I go, the premise is really good. And I watch an episode or two and then I just go, yeah, kind of, you spent it all in the one idea. Uh, yep. So, so not having them actually even killing each other yet, and we're on episode three, is um, is great foreboding, and and I think it goes really, really well. In terms of the plot, can I start asking you some questions about the new one to see what your yeah, yeah. theories are? Now, I should say major spoiler alert here, right? 
So we're going to totally. Um, so for a start, <laughs> do, who do you think? Let me. I don't know. Start where to start with this. Okay, for a start, where do you think we are? Is this world in where? Where is it? Yeah, yeah. It's a good question. I, I I think that we we don't know enough, like uh, to know what world, uh, what the world is like. What what are we on? Are we even on Earth? You know, uh, is this uh, an actual? Um, is this an actual park and world that is constructed and contained somewhere on Earth, or is it some kind of uh, technological, you know, um, experiential projection uh, universe that's happening, you know, somewhere else, like on some large spacecraft deep in space or on some other weird planet? Or I mean, there's so there's so little to go on. It's hard to know for sure, but I think you do wind up. Um, uh, or I felt like I wound up just in these three episodes spending a lot of time sort of thinking about it and talking about it with friends here, you know, and trying to figure out some of these same questions. And you're wondering all the while if um, the way they've described the, the world of the humans who are coming to the park, it's as if there's no, um, well, they don't really say much, but I, I had the impression that there was no, it, this was just an escape for these two guys that come who work together, right? And he wants to get to know the real uh, I can't remember the names of the characters, but the the sort of innocent sort of um, you know audience proxy guy so who wants Logan? to go off on the bounty hunters, yeah. And so he comes, you know, hit his buddy. Logan who's always is the kinda, um, is the you know hedonistic romp guy. Oh right, okay. His so friend William. William, yeah, William is the guy I was thinking of, I guess. And and you know he's sort of our proxy in the second episode when he's introduced, right? Was that the second episode? Yeah, I think yeah, so. second episode and. Yeah, and so uh, yeah, it's it's hard to know. I don't I don't know if I do. You have a theory about where it is? I mean, are we on Earth? Well, okay, so I think we're not on Earth. I'm going to just get into these really hardcore and quickly because I don't want to spend the whole time on that. We're not on Earth because he goes in episode three to a special room to talk to his either wife or ex-wife, and in that special room, it just had a 2001 feel that we had to be using some kind of special. Like if you just had a mobile phone you'd call you anywhere in the world, right? You can pretty much imagine that if you've got robots, mm. you've got mobile phones yeah. that work. So if you're in Arizona, I can't imagine it being out of cell tower distance, right? Um, it could be in a biodome or something that's so vast just to stop anyone else from stealing the robots or something that phones don't work. But save that, it felt like you needed to use special communications and it was hard to get hold of him, but hard to speak mm-hmm. to get out. And it, you know, it felt like you know, if you're on a space station, well, and that everybody that works there lives there. Yeah, so it's, right? it's just very much like felt like that to me. Um, yeah. So I yeah, so I'm going to say it's not on Earth. Whether it's okay. the outside world, <laughs> what it looks like, I don't know. Now here's the next one. What do you think the timeline is doing? Do you think the timeline that we're witnessing is a linear timeline inside in story context? In other words, am I experiencing these stories? Um, completely like there are two stories running like one was like 10 years ago and one's today inside the show or are they all together because mm-hmm. there's a theory going around that the guys came in episode two one of them will become the guy in black many years later and i don't think right. that's true i think that they're they're existing around the same time i agree with you like i heard that same theory and i don't think that that could be true because at the end of the last episode that we've seen episode three uh is when um, the Dolores character has crossed some threshold of, through whatever means that we don't quite totally understand yet, and she's she's killed another one of the uh, hosts 
right in the barn and has some kind of a, a an episode where she hops on her horse and rides away and she arrives uh, exhausted and spent at the camp of uh of our two uh human characters so, so I, I, I don't buy the 30 year apart but i'd actually buy that we're jumping between like maybe it's forwards and backwards over a few weeks or a few months because, you know, she's confusing in the barn, the man in black versus the, the actual host that's trying to rape her. Right. And so she's having flashbacks to things that we saw. But I think, I don't think it's, it's going to be as clean as just every moment in the show is a moment further in the continuum. I think because they have these memories and, and are jumping between the same thing over and over and over again, um, they could play on that. But okay, that's good. Um, now, here's the next one. Who's a droid? Is Bernard a droid? And Bernard is the is the, he's the uh, really great yeah the second in charge the beard. Uh, that works with yeah. uh, Anthony Hopkins who's interviewing Dolores all yeah the time. exactly yeah Bernard Lau yeah I I don't know I mean I, you I sort of you sort of think that at some point and that like there's a degree to which when he has the the conversation he has with the uh, Anthony Hopkins the creator of the yep, park forward. when he has that conversation uh, it towards the sort of end of the second third of the last episode and he sort of scolds him almost and brings up the idea of the of his son who i guess died um and he sort of looks at him and he gets in the elevator and he doesn't say anything and kind of goes away you, you do get the impression that there's some manipulation there that's going on on the part of the ford character of him and so it, it and it felt very very reminiscent in terms of conversation of the conversations he's been having with that Bernard had been having with Dolores, you know, so I, okay, it's hard so to then, know. I, so then, I don't know. Okay. So then who's Arnold? Arnold, the guy he refers to, Ford refers to as his partner that maybe died or maybe got lost. Well, he's, you keep thinking he's, I, I kept thinking he's, it's Ed Harris. It's Arnold, okay. You right? think he's the man in black, the VIP maybe. that he's told. Cause yeah. the thing is they say that it's 40,000 bucks, right? A day to be in the park. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you've been in the park and he said, I've been in the park for 30 years, it sounded like he said that, right? Well, he said, I've been coming to the park, park for, 30 for 30 years. years. Okay. He's been returning to the park yeah. for 30 years. So he must be extraordinarily wealthy to be able to afford yeah, that. Yeah. But he's treated right. like a VIP. He could be a VIP because he is that rich that he can afford to be there and he's spending that much money. Um, I like to think that Ed Harris's character is actually some um, rich guy who's trying to get to the deeper level in the park. And I'll tell you why, because so if we think he's not Arnold, right? And Arnold is the other mm-hmm. guy that's the creator. And we do we assume that it's Arnold's voices that they're hearing when they hear them things like shoot him or kill him or you know that extra voice in their heads? Maybe sound I, like anybody else's voice. Well, yeah, it, it could be. I, I I sort of thought maybe it was the Ed Harris character's voice, oh. and I I had also heard another theory right which was that the ed harris character is he's a robot but he's a robot who has become he's he solved his own like sort of ai issues like he's broken free of his programming and he's evolved and so he's spreading the disease sort of well, or the virus to each each other every other robot and that he's uncovered the puzzle and that the puzzle is something that will lead him to his maker or whatever, or to his freedom or some, something like that. And that he's a, he's an Android. Okay. And okay. So, so, okay. So there is a voice <laughs> they're hearing in their head and I'm going to come back to that, um, in one second. 
So I think that the guy that's the man in black is genuinely not a robot and he's trying to find <clears throat> the secret to, the, he's trying to go deep, right? And he's heard about this thing called the maze, which is this thing that, that he doesn't know what it is. And he's trying to find it because he reckons if he can get to the maze, he can solve it, right? Here's my yeah. theory. And it's pieced together from things I pulled off the net as well. Okay. Bernard Lowe is an anagram of Arnold Weber. So I reckon Bernard is a android made by the doctor um, to be a representation and embodiment or whatever of his dead partner who he probably either had killed or caused to be killed, right? And so he's, he's treating him like that. Now, Bernard's could or could not be that, I don't know, but like the fact that he is an anagram is just too freaky for me. Okay, the second thing is the maze isn't for you is what the kid tells the man in black when her mother's been killed, right? Mm-hmm. I think Arnold set up the maze so that if a character in the maze, as in a host, as in a robot and an android, mm-hmm. can solve the maze, then they've got to a point of consciousness. It's his Turing test. Because he ah, said, he said yes. it, they passed the Turing test in the first year, but he wanted to go further, he wanted to go to consciousness, right? Yeah. Um, yep. Now, now this, this show is so frigging great. Do you remember that bit where they talked about um, uh, bicameralism? And the, yep, that, yep. okay, so for those that don't the know, the bicameral said, mind, yeah. bicameral mind, exactly. I didn't know it that well. I'd kind of heard about it, had to look it up. Um, yep, me too. <laughs> it's this idea that you've got, um, we had years ago, like 3,000 years ago, um, like a left side talking to the right side of the brain, just to be really harsh about it. And, but anyway, he says that this idea was to put a voice in there, which would be, um, the sort of spark that would lead to their consciousness, that they would hear this voice talking to them and that this would lead to having them speak to themselves and they'd become self-aware and they'd have consciousness. And and then the thing was that didn't work because of schizophrenia. Um, I can't believe that's gone. It's just such a big thing that that's got to yeah, come yeah. back. Um, <clears throat> and there's one other thing that I just, I just love to death, which is episode three's Alice in Wonderland overlay. Mm-hmm. I, I, let me read you this from Cliff Notes that a student would buy <laughs> if they were studying Alice in Wonderland. I mean, I took like 10 seconds to look this up before I called you, Matt. And tell me if this doesn't <laughs> sound like this is the show we're watching, right? A child yeah, yeah. whose only purpose is to escape the afflictions around her. By implication, there is a view that the child's perception of the world is the only sane one. Conversely, to grow and mature leads to inevitable corruption, sexuality, emotionalism, and adult hypocrisy. It's got nothing to wow. do with the show. That's just from the cliff notes that you'd buy if you were studying an exam. In uh, that's so Alice. rad, though. That's yeah. And, the, the writers, the writers' room, they've got that posted on, on the, the wall. Note. And then you know what? <laughs> As somebody else pointed out, Dolores looks exactly like a characterization Alice. of Alice in Wonderland. The blue dress, totally. Yeah, she yeah. is. Yeah. So yeah, and so anyway, well, I, I I I gotta say, I like your theory. That sounds really good. <laughs> And, and that whole That's thing brilliant. about the uh, the pyramid, the memory, the improvisation, and the self interest, and what's the top layer? Like the memory is where we are now. Improv is just coming in in, in episode three when he says, "Don't do um, scripted responses, only improv." I think yep. self interest is going to come next, and then we're going to get to this fourth level of whatever his pyramid was that was never defined on the blackboard. That's my uh, that's my theory. That's so good. Yeah, I did love actually when he tells her to improv, no uh-huh. scripted answers. And, and or, or while he's interviewing her and he asks her a question at one point about something she said, uh, like, why did she ask him about his son? 
And she says in response, she says, uh, you've asked me so many questions about me. I haven't asked you any personal questions. And to like something about feigning an interest in your personal life is an ingratiating scheme. Mm. And I thought, oh man, that is so great that like, that like, you know, here we're looking at this, this Android who we're perceiving as, you know, an adult, like female, uh, you know, person, but yet she's just a machine. She's actually genderless and her gender is meaningless, you know, in terms of her machine, um, consciousness and that her, her way of communicating and kind of fooling the human is she calls it an ingratiating scheme. Like it's just a, a part of a program. It's a game. You know? Oh yeah. I thought that, I just thought there was something so interesting and kind of cold and matter of fact about that. that there was really no uh, genuine interest, but yet it feels like she cares, you know? And the idea that this voice that they tried putting in to be the seat of consciousness, they had to stop. But the only thing that's left over from it is that the voice commands, the special voice commands that yep. they do is the last part of it. And they're the ones that let them control it. And then you totally. get these, these little lines that like um, Ford's character or other Anthony Hopkins character says, I wrote one down. It was just brilliant. He said, uh, you know, that, that's been quoted a lot in the press, like uh, you can't play God without being acquainted with the devil. But he then goes on to say, we practice witchcraft. We speak the right words and then they do what we want, right? And it was like, yep. uh, oh, wow. Okay, so so into this, <laughs> let's have a look <laughs> then at uh, at the visual effects. Now, in the first ep, there is some obvious stuff like the um, the actual station that is on the edge of the, uh, you know, theme park, which is a, mm-hmm. either a map painting or 3D kind of projection and stuff. And, and a few other things, obviously, as we said, the, the minor things. But what did you think overall, the look of the thing and, and just in terms of sort of quality of visuals? I mean, I think the the visual effects have been really interesting in that I do I, I do get the sense, although I don't know this because I haven't had an opportunity to see really much of anything written about what the effects are that are being done. But I do feel like one of the things that we're seeing a lot of is there. I'm assuming there's a lot of uh, environment work that's being done in terms of uh, I would assume some set extensions, and there was even one shot of a landscape um, where they're sort of flying over this very sort of porous kind of rocky landscape. And I don't know if that's a real place, uh, somewhere in Utah, or if that's a, a digital landscape, uh, wasn't really clear on some of that. And some of the, um, the mountainous sort of extensions, uh, appear not to be real, but then, uh, I think so far of all of the, I think the effects have been really, really solid. I haven't seen anything that, um, uh, didn't work. And the three, the three biggest effects that, uh, really jumped out at me as being just totally spectacular were, um, in probably in reverse order would have been, I love the image of the, um, 3d kind of printer, uh, printing the eye after a character has been killed. Oh and they're God, sort of wasn't that great. I, I did it the same thing. It's my favorite. Today. And it worked so beautiful. It worked really, really well because we'd had the context from the earlier stuff mm-hmm. we'd seen in the trail, in the titles and stuff. Title sequence, yeah. Yeah. So we got this idea. Okay, we know how this thing kind of works. It's like a three D printer. It had like layers out, kind of, you know, stuff. Mm-hmm. We had that enough in a obvious context that when they did it in the eye context, it was just a cracker. That was great, and then and then they did some kind of I don't I don't quite know what it was, was like a retime or an editorial gag or if it's or if it's some kind of CG thing. I, I wasn't clear on it, but when they there's a a conversation that. Uh, 
the Ford character is having in his sort of private little basement study area in the, where he's talking uh, to the room to the old guy. Yeah. He's talking to the old guy and they're yep. sharing a whiskey yep. and the way that that actor, or I don't even know if it was a real actor, but the way that that host is moving kind of in this older kind of somewhat animatronic way, like the old animatronic Abraham Lincoln that they used to have at Disneyland, you know, in the hall of presidents or whatever. He kind of has this like slightly herky jerky movement that's really fluid in a way. But then when he shifts direction, you can almost see like servos kind of moving almost, you know, in terms of the, the, the way that he's, um, he's animating. And, uh, it, it was so subtle but so cool looking and so weird. Like you really did feel like you're looking at a, an older version of the tech. And then the third thing that I thought was just mind blowingly cool is just something that oddly enough, like we're almost getting used to seeing these, but I still think it was so great was the de-aging of Anthony Hopkins yeah. in uh, the last episode was just, I don't know if that was Lola again, but no, it wasn't. You know, it, no. Um, so the visual really advisor good, is Jay Worth, um, and uh, Jay um, uh, actually spoke to Ian Fails, who used to be obviously with X Guide. Ian um, mm -hmm. now is freelance, but uh, he did a great piece on that. And Jay, in that um, story, was talking about the fact that was using uh, for old build character down below. That was in fact mm -hmm. computer graphics, um, or rather, it was enhanced with computer graphics, as a lot of the stuff is. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the. Um, the fly going into Dolores's eye in the first ep was, oh, yeah. was great. I just love that, you know, because it's something that the audience kind of, you know, you can't fake, you can't make something, yeah. you can't film somebody and not just twitch. Um, and so it was a good way of sort of showing what was going on. Um, yeah. So a lot of those, um, a lot of those landscapes are, of course, Utah and Los Angeles and stuff shot in a car park. And you're right about all mm -hmm. of that. Um, though I, again, I agree with you. I think it's very well done. The trouble is it's almost impossible to tell when it's badly done in the sense that I mean, unless it's badly done, like the original Westworld with the stuff outside the window, which clearly looks fake here, right. it's something like a bit of a mismatch <coughs> in terms of like, there's a line where it feels like it transitions too quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to feel like that was a deliberate thing. Um, I, I yeah, don't think there's yeah. anything in here that I'm seeing that I would criticize at that level. Um, <laughs> yeah, me neither. I do like that they went to a lot of trouble to build a lot of props. So the behind the scenes underneath or in the, you know, the headquarters effectively has a lot of physicality uh -huh. because they have a lot of physical props. Um, and so, you know, they've got real things to walk around and kind of hang with. Well, um, and they have the, and they have the kind of the bodies in the sort of, yeah. you know, the Da Vinci, the Vitruvian man kind of pose where they're being sort of dipped in and out of this sort of milky fluid or they're sort of on these, rings you know and they're they're they have that sort of musculature um under structure with some sort of skeleton and they're all just sort of this white uh kind of material it's sort of hard to tell what it is you know it almost looks like a, it looks like some kind of like calcium phosphate or something but it's got to be some other kind of hybrid you know organic <laughs> kind of material and and uh, and then the rest of that space is really just all these kind of you know glass uh, partitions and then like, you know, pools of light from above and stuff. And, but then, yeah, the, then there's all these, um, sort of props in that space where, you know, when the, the one character comes to the, his fitting room where he's, he's got all these things to choose from and the woman or robot or whatever that's there, I guess we're led to believe she's an Android at the end. But, um, 
she's there to sort of assist him and all the props that are in that space too are all just sort of, I mean, they're just costume props, I guess, more than anything else. But yeah, it's, it's think, really, really well done. I think done. That, that set when May wakes up while she's on the operating table, like they did. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It seemed like to me like they, they're not spending a fortune on visual effects. They could have done a lot more with her open wound than they did. I, I almost felt a tad cheated that I didn't have more of her open wound. Like a lot of the shots, you know, it, was, it felt like it was sort of designed so you wouldn't notice her open wound on her stomach. But that being said, the mm-hmm. set that she then ran into was just such a genuine horror. Like you, you were so identified with her point of view that when she saw all these bodies and the sort of yeah. call it morgue and they're hosing them down and stuff, I mean, it was just deeply disturbing. Totally. Um, uh, Jason Wingrove, who some of us all know from the, the um, Red Center, a good, uh, you know, we were having lunch the other day and he was saying, like, the thing about this show is like episode one, you go, I love it. Episode two, you go, oh my God, this is so dark. This is like really disturbing. Episode three, I love it. <laughs> it's like, they, yeah. like, they take moments to go very, very dark. I mean, the fact that the first one had the kind of, first episode had that, that twist of, we thought that the, uh, the real person was the guy that arrived on the stage coast. And right. it's actually the man in black who, and then doesn't just kill people. He rapes them, or at least we thought we were raped. She was being, Dolores was being raped. And that he likes it when she screams. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, yeah. So dark. Anyway, the, the face stuff you talked about, the, you know, when um, he's de-aged uh-huh. wasn't uh, done by um, Lola. It was actually done by important looking uh, pirates in uh, Stockholm, a Swedish company. Oh, wow. Um, who did that. And uh, yeah. So, I thought it was pretty strong. I mean, it worked really well. And I thought that, um, you know, it, it had kind of a softness to it that I thought was, you know, maybe kind of part of the fact that it's also sort of a memory, like we're sort of seeing a flashback. So it kind of had the soft glow a little bit to the, the whole scene. It was kind of had this kind of, um, it felt like there was an overall, uh, yeah, just sort of a, not, not a defocus, but almost like a, you know, like a classic movie softness, like shooting through like a pro mist or something like that. And then it had a, um, there was a small, subtle movement of expression in the face of the Anthony Hopkins, the de-aged Anthony Hopkins that I thought uh, at the end, very end of the scene where he kind of has a little, like a, a tiny bit of a smile, I think. And uh, I thought that was really effective. And it looked like, it really looked like an Anthony Hopkins movement as well. So I thought it was really well executed. It's an interesting problem, isn't it, for visual effects? Because I'm pretty much in complete um, opinion that Anthony Hopkins is real. So a yeah. flashback of Anthony Hopkins that didn't look real would would give me a clue that would, I think, be wrong. In other words, you know, you had to right, right. something that looked real because you don't want the audience to go, aha, he didn't look real, so he isn't real, so he must be an android. Exactly. Uh, this would, yeah. be, uh, would be horrendous. So yeah, yeah a lot of pressure on the team in Stockholm. And I think they, uh, they really delivered and it isn't easy. I mean, it's just a really hard job. They, um, obviously had reference from Anthony Hopkins being a New Zealand actor. He had a lot of stuff before, I guess most people knew him from Silence of the Lambs, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, really, I thought it looked very, very believable. Um, but again, not for very long. I, we didn't get a lot of that, did we? No, it was really short, but I, but I think it, it was effective in telling that sort of story of the beginning of the park and the connection to the, the Arnold character and having the opportunity to, in that flashback, to see really what looked like some of the early, what were, I guess, in the story. It's supposed to be some of the really early androids. And they had, you know, a couple different characters. The one guy on the table who's like, you know, upper torso is got flesh in his head. And then 
the lower body is like it looks like one of the androids from the first uh, from the movie almost you know from the Westworld movie from '73. It's like it's all these kind of bands and like plastic legs and stuff like that. It looked really um, really interesting as a structure, and it's all, all the flesh is kind of removed from it, so you see it, and it's very much a robot, much less than the the current ones, which appear to be much more sort of anatomical um, and biological in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I've got to say, like the original one, I thought it was really funny when um, he died at the very end. And it just really felt like people had walked around and put fireworks under every corner of his, um, you know, <laughs> kind of like, yeah, some more fireworks yeah, over totally. here. Um, I remind, there, there were films back then, whenever a computer would go wrong, it would explode, right? Like when my computers go yeah. wrong, they just go dark. And yeah. I, it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? Like, and, and it's because I think the visual language is of its time, right? And if a mechanical thing goes yeah. wrong, it's dangerous and it explodes. A flywheel comes loose and smashes stuff, right? But totally. for the younger generation, <laughs> you've got this other problem, which is they have grown up, but if it doesn't work, it's black and it's listeless and it's lifeless. And I feel like, um, you know, when you're Well, making- unless it's a Samsung, Samsung uh, <laughs> Galaxy 7, right? I mean, that could go up in flames. That would be like a pinwheel. It would look a little uh, Yule Brenner, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great point. It completely undermines my entire theory. But I was going to say, <laughs> you are influenced by um, by the audience, and it's not just yeah. uh, you can't be out of context with your audience when talking about um, you know how they're going to interpret stuff. What about um, I was I was going to ask you another another effect as we started talking about the you mentioned looking at the face of the Anthony Hopkins character, and it made me think, oh, you know, another really interesting I think visual effect is when they're out on the, um, they're with some other clients, these hosts are, and they're out on this trail somewhere like in a, you know, some chaparral kind of area. And, and one of these older robots, a prospector or whatever, I think this might've been in this episode, but he kind of starts to glitch out kind of, and his face kind of glitches out and his, he sort of, he slows yeah. down and he kind of, it's like something's not quite right with him. And then the whole illusion is kind of, you know, thrown into disarray and the clients seem kind of pissed off. And, uh, they show him again later being, um, you know, in the, back in the room and he's being, uh, I don't know, diagnostics are being done on him or whatever. And he still has some of those same issues going on. And that felt like his breakdown and then the, the sort of twitchiness and the, the asymmetrical movement of the musculature of the face also felt like it was a, a digital effect for sure. You know, it's funny how uh, we were just talking about like that sort of, and that, I agree, sorry, I just, I was just, you were talking about uh, out in the thing and it just reminded me of something. Um, I've been lucky enough mm. to get a, a HoloLens, right, which I'm using, you know, which is oh, an yeah. AR device. Yeah, and, we have uh, one in the library at our university, which right. is pretty and cool. So if you probably have used it, if somebody listening hasn't, you hold your hand up without any device in it and you do hand movements in front of your face and the visor sees your hand doing the movement and it interprets it. You can um, hold your fingers pointing to the roof all in a cluster and open open up your palm flat and that sort of go back a level in menu. But also you can kind of do this um, tapping your your index finger and it's basically um, kind of select click operation because you're not holding an air mouse, just your hand in front of your own face. And when Anthony Hopkins is manipulating the snake, I was like, man, somebody, oh, yeah. somebody got a, a, a hollow lens into the offices, production offices, so that people could come up with some ideas and go, oh, that's a good idea. Let's do that. Well, it's total minority report, like that whole notion of that kind of interface and, and the way the, 
excuse me, the HoloLens interface operates. Yeah, but it's just, it's so fascinating to me to just see, you know, over time, like it's, you know, like that may seem like a really arcane way to communicate to like 20 years from now in the same way that we think it's really silly that there are enormous resistors inside their androids in uh, the worst. Yeah, yeah. And that <laughs> fireworks would go off when they go wrong. Um, it's, it's just, you know, that's, you know, a, that's, a, that's another great uh, visual effect too, though, is the, um, they've done it so many times now in the show where they have uh, gone out into the field, the people, the, the actual people who are running the park yeah. go out to the field a couple of times and, and uh, they have to freeze um, the robots in order to do this kind of cleanup. And that's been, I think, and the snake is another great example, but I think that's been an amazingly cool looking effect that's been really successful in that I'm not a hundred percent sure I understand exactly how it's done because there's moments where the actors who are playing the androids are, uh, you know, they're playing their scene and they're not just like, you know, acting frozen. Cause like <laughs> they're actually, They've somehow stopped the footage, and it almost looks as if they've done like a um, some kind of a, a, a match move camera where they've sh- maybe done like a um, you know like a bullet time style effect because they're able to actually have the camera move in parallax around some of the people who are motionless and mm-hmm. walk in. Then the other actors walk in between them. And I'm trying to figure out like how they're and obviously it's composited together in some way, but I'm I've been well, trying to figure out how exactly they're doing that. So I, I did a shot like that um, a couple of years ago and I discovered that if you are only doing a relatively small arc, in other words, not a huge arc, um, mm-hmm. if you actually morph between two frames, um, it's a linear line rather than a so, – so if you look at an overhead shot of a camera move, right, it's going to move in mm-hmm. an arc where it's a fixed radius. The, the path that the, um, that the morph takes is a, is a linear straight line. It's a, not a, an arc between the two right. points. So notwithstanding that that's not mathematically correct in that they should sort of turn, um, it feels like that they do. And you can actually get a remarkably good frozen yeah. moment, uh, but, you know, like slight tracking shot as if you're on a, on, um, you know, sort of a, uh, sort of a slider that would be mounted on top of a tripod, that level of, right. kind of, you know, a couple of feet kind of movement. You can get that from a morph really, really well. And it, it's, so it's spectacularly good. And then, of course, you just have to put in, the uh, match that to the move of the people, right? So, do you think that's what that must be what they're doing? Then, because there's I don't know. there was that's only how I would do it. Yeah, yeah. There was only one shot in the last episode. It's when they uh, come up on I, the the guys that can't make a fire. Exactly, and there's one shot in that where the the woman researcher who's coming up walks behind one of the guys who was sitting there, and he looked like kind of plainer, a little two D, and it, it was something that I think had to do with. My, at least I, I saw, I watched that episode twice actually. And, um, that part, all I could think was that it was like the reason that he looked so sort of flat was just his lighting was different than her lighting or something, or the black levels were just not quite right in terms of her moving sort of around him or behind him. She, it was like, she got too close in the staging of the scene to where the guy would have been sitting had he actually been sort of frozen. It was just a split second, but I was like, Oh, you like the illusion. I could kind of see a little bit of what I thought might be going on there. But I think that's been a really neat effect and one mm. that's um, been kind of fun to see. Like, and it's, again, it's that same thing of the the use of language and that sort of the ghost in the machine piece that they said they, the subconscious piece that they got rid of, but they kept the voice commands, you know? So that's been pretty neat. 
Yeah, no, no, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that, um, you know, you, you are on episodic budgets. I mean, like, even though this is costing a lot of money per app, probably more money than the entire movie cost, um, obviously there's been inflation, but, you know, again, it's not a feature film. And also there's a lot of stuff to be done. If you're doing 10 shows, that's like a lot of material. It is just a heck of a lot. Oh, yeah. So you're going you're gonna to want to keep some of your um, powder dry in terms of your budget for later in the show, I'm sure. So I think I feel like they've just got great judicious use of stuff. And I'm, I think that's across the whole board. For example, a lot of people have commented, and I think that they're right, it's so great that the piano player plays modern rock songs, but in yeah, a yeah, style, yeah. right? But of course, they don't really <laughs> overplay that, right? Like nobody kind of walks in and goes, hey, do you know, you know, whatever. Yeah, Black Hole Sun by Soundgarden or whatever it yeah. is, you know, yeah. But there was a there was a Stones number as well, I think, in one of them, wasn't there? Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like like that's enough to have it there. Um, I don't feel like they're being too clever by half, but I just feel like they're going to go, well, we're going to have a freeze. And then it's almost like they say, look, we know that you know we could just do a lot of these, but at some point, unless there's some reason for doing it, we're just not going to do them. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So... I'm not watching the show for the visual effects, though I just sort of know there must be a bunch of them. Uh, because I think we've moved to a post-effects world where I want to see the effect. Like I don't, I'm not, like in the first one, you wanted to see the guy's face come off, like the mask come off because like, sure. it's, you know, how do they get the face and the thing? How, how are they going to do it? Yeah. yeah. And so when like, they how are they going to be able to pull around that his up? head in the original 73 movie to reveal the line, it was a genius move, right? Because if you think about it, Mm-hmm. All they're doing is pulling tape off that's skin colored, revealing a presumably, yeah. you know, um, highlighter pen. I mean, a yep. darker pen that's gone around and drawn <laughs> yeah. a line on the bloody guy's face. And yet you're like, oh, that's how, yeah, yeah, I see, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, in this one, I don't feel that they're doing that. It's like there's, yeah. And, and I think they're also lucky because it's HBO. I haven't felt like there's been the same gratuitous use of nudity. Like in some of the, HBO things. I feel like we now have to have a scene of like quite a lot of sex just so that we get, right. you know, a, a mature kind of angle and that people will watch it because it's, you know, sexy. Um, there's well, I, think, of, I think what they've done instead, I mean, there have been a few sex scenes, but I think yeah. what they've done instead is some of the, some of the callous nature of the violence, like the, the sort of almost, you know, I, I, for, I forgive the uh, term. I think uh, I can't think of another way to almost the, sort of almost like concentration camp or sort of, you know, Schindler's list, you know, Auschwitz kind of, um, portrayal of the throwing of the Android bodies. Like it's so ghastly and so like horrifying, but so great. Like you said, it getting you to identify with the, the Android characters. Like you really, you sympathize or even empathize with those characters much more so than you do for their, their, the humans who just seem like these kind of they're just doing a job, you know, they're like, oh, they're just, they're all kind of a-holes. And they even play off of that too. And the one, the one dude who, uh, who feels, a, you know, he covers the Android that he's working on. Like, so, yes. and yes. Hopkins comes up to him and says like, you know, what are you worried about his modesty or his, you know, is that he might be cold and he pulls out the exacto knife or the scalpel or whatever. And he cuts his face and he says, they feel nothing except exactly what we tell them to feel. And, you know, do you understand? And it's very cold and calculated, but at the same time too, like there was an aspect of it where I was like, huh, you know, he's kind of not wrong though. Like if they are just machines, you know, like, ah, well, can I, can I, okay. Can I pivot on that point for a second? A bit of a rat hole. Cause, yeah, cause yeah. I'm actually 
you and I both do stuff in, in an academic space, though you more than I. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I've got a paper at a conference coming up in, um, in December and, and I actually explore that concept because I think that that's not, I think that's a slightly, um, like we can go beyond that view, that view that is black and white, that they're, they're, they're real or they're not, they're an object or they're real. Like I think that's a, a, a concept we can get beyond because here's the thing, there is presence um, with the character even though that they're not real. And I'd, I'd like to flip on to the Uncanny Valley to explain mm-hmm. this. So the thing about the Uncanny Valley is in the popular press, not in not people listening to this podcast, but just sort of the general population, think that the Uncanny Valley is you just can't tell it from real. Yeah? And they've almost got to the point that the Uncanny Valley is synonymous to Turing test, even though their interpretation of the Turing test isn't exactly what the original Turing test was either. But it isn't. See, the thing about the Uncanny Valley, and we all know the, what that um, equation looks like, is that, okay, the cartoon character has got appeal and then it drops into the uncanny valley before coming up again. But it's not binary. There's a point on the uncanny valley that it's more um, uh, appealing, has more affinity, to use the translation of the original Japanese. There's more affinity, Mm -hmm. and yet it is not, by the diagram, the same as reality. In other words, there's a point where I could say, this thing isn't real. I know it's not real. I totally know it's not real but I feel affinity for it. I feel more affinity for it than I did when it was a cartoon character and obviously way more than I was rejecting it um, as a bad gamey um, thing that I find repulsive. So to use a, uh, to flip this for a second, like we would never tolerate you or I cruelty to a dog. And yet if you uh-huh. had a choice in a battle between a soldier dying and a dog dying, unfortunately most people would say, well, you know, the, the, person is going to be saved and the dog isn't right because we don't equate a dog and a, and a man as or a woman as being exactly the same in a moral uh, grid we think that there's a moral equivalency yeah sure but so so we say we don't want to hurt the dog we we, we wouldn't tolerate uh-huh. cruelty to animals and i have two dogs sleeping right behind me as i'm talking and yet uh-huh. i i don't perceive uh-huh. them to be of the same um essence as I do my own children or members of my family, right? They, they are, and after all, animals, and I just I would never be cruel to them, but I'm not going to, you know, in a war situation, if I had to choose between my daughter and my dog, I'm, I'm going to choose my daughter because she's a human and that's the right human response. So my thing is this, mm-hmm. isn't there a place where these androids can be something that I know is fake, but I still have presence with them, I still have empathy for them, I still... In, embody them with feelings that are real for me and so I don't have to be a real person they still matter and and if you get into this in a kind of a didactic if you think about it for a second like we're doing this right now with avatars we're not doing it with robots because the robots are sci-fi but we are doing it with virtual characters and over the next five years ten years we're going to do a lot more with virtual characters and the question you've got to mm-hmm. ask yourself is what's your relationship to your virtual assistant is it just an it or is there a point at which you could have a virtual assistant that you actually cared about, though you know them well, to be digital? It's the, but it's the, you're talking about something that's like a, it's a, there's a, there's a, there is another component to this thing and another layer of uh, to consider, which is is the way in which it's it's subject, subjective versus objective, right? Like if if the android let's say in the example of the program in the example of westworld if the android reaches a point where it objectively has feelings and emotions uh that 
it possesses, right? The Android itself possesses feelings and emotions and those can be identified somehow. Then it's objectively the case that like it matters, right? But if subjectively, no, no, I say, no, okay. And I'm calling you on that. And here's my reason. I'm not a vegetarian. If I was a vegetarian, I could argue that, but I eat animals. I don't, I don't even like the fact that I eat animals, except I do like eating steak, right? But I know that uh-huh. a cow has feelings, right? <laughs> so yeah. my point is that, that it's, it's not black and white. This is my, my point. It's very much a grayscale. It's not the, the um, it's either they're real or they're not. And if they're not, they're an object. So that's where I think Anthony mm-hmm. Hopkins' mm-hmm. character is just completely different to the way that, um, you know, I'm viewing what Bernard's saying, right? I can have right, but 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 why? But see that I so I've thought that same thing too. But why is he different? Right? There is an, a reference in the show to an incident. They don't describe what it is, but an incident that took place. Like they were living in the park for what does he say, like twenty years or something yeah. before it was open to the public with the robots and perfecting the stuff and just working like pure creation, whatever he describes it as. And then there was some incident, but they don't describe what the incident was. And it was after that incident that uh, they allude to at least the death of this other person, Arnold, although you don't know if it's connected in any way, um, Arnold's death to this incident. And the Hopkins character does then in turn have this almost cold, seemingly cold and callous sort of sense of, of himself around these robots. And it's, I'm just wondering, like, is, is in the end, is his malevolence, like, is it, is he like a bad dude or is there something that he knows that we don't know? You know, that's the other thing that I keep wondering. Well, okay. Well, let me put it this way. The guy that Ben Barnes's character plays, Logan, right? The, the mm-hmm. douchebag guy that yeah. just screws everything, right? And William. Now, let's say you and I, William and Logan go into Westworld, yeah? I'm willing to mm-hmm. bet all the money in my pocket that you and I don't hang out with Logan because we would find him not to be a good guy because of the way he treats the objects that are the robots, because I believe that it says a lot about you, how you treat a dog. It says a lot about you, how you, how you care whether or not. So I am not a vegetarian, but I will not buy um, eggs that are, you know, from battery uh, farm chickens. Like I acknowledge that I need to eat, but I'm not willing to have cruelty. They say there's a correlation between, you know, children when they're young, if they're cruel to animals, like they have, uh, there's correlation, uh, you know, it's not a direct causation, but there's correlation that suggests that people who are cruel to animals when they're young have a, a lack of empathy towards other humans as they get older and have a greater possibility of, you know, um, being violent towards other people, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so you, if you see somebody being violent, uh, towards uh, a a pseudo human, <laughs> you know, a non-human it, but that one that's designed to evoke human responses in its participant behave in a way that's sort of um, grotesque. You would imagine that, like, that's a true nature and essence of their character on some level in the real world as well. So I yeah. think that'll be what'll happen. This will this stuff's going to come to bear, not because we have androids that walk around indistinguishable. I, feel, I find that hard to believe, but I bet you mm-hmm. we have virtual assistants that either through a HoloLens or a uh, magic leap or just on screen are 
very real. Well, it's her, yeah, her right? You know, it's like yeah. the Scarlett Johansson in your in your, but with in a face, your right? or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And so at that point, I think how you act to that virtual entity. I'm not saying that you should in, in, in you should have like a civil rights movement for androids and give them all the or avatars and give them all the rights <laughs> of humans. But by the same token, I don't think that there's anything wrong with knowing that they're not human, but not wanting to treat them appallingly. In the same way that, as I know, you and I both would agree, that you would never treat um, a dog, uh, you know, poorly and be be cruel to it. Um, and there are people that go further than that, as I say, that are you know vegans and stuff, and I totally respect them for doing it. Now, all of this brings us back to something else. I want to completely change. Oh, I doesn't expect. I'm just going to jump back. Um, are you aware of the marketing campaign for what's been going on with Westworld? No, I don't so think there's a so. website I can't get to it because I'm outside. Uh, I saw it briefly in the US, but now if I try hitting it from outside the US, it redirects to my local, um, you know, provider oh. of, of Westworld. Um, but there is a um, a computer program running that you can ask questions to in much of the same way. It's like a virtual assistant, but again, like um, uh, you know, any of the apps that you have, it doesn't have a face. So it's a blank screen, mm-hmm. but you can type in questions and, and I think it's uh, Aiden or Arden uh, is the name of it and it'll answer questions and you can ask it all sorts of things. And interestingly, um, you if you enter in like the top right corner, I can't do it because I'm not there, uh, violent delights, you actually get behind that to a whole second layer of the stuff, which mm-hmm. lets you then get into see a diagram of Dolores' programming, like the actual state oh, machine wow. model. So Interesting. They've really laid some stuff in there. Um, oh, that's cool. And I don't. Yeah, know, I got to check that out now. That yeah, you've got to cool. check that out. The other thing is, I don't know enough about it, but apparently, the name of the company is um, linked to Greek mythology, which is linked possibly to that Orion star system that we saw in episode three, because uh, uh, that's yeah, yeah. Orion, and then there were the gods, and they did things, and then that's the name of the company as well. Um, so huh. there's a lot of stuff going on here. Heaps more. Well, stuff. I love that. I love the. I love the the, the, the all the layers, like how yeah. mul- the multitude of layers that are going into this uh, and making it deeper and deeper. You know, we had a character that they referred to as vectoring, right? He's yes. vectoring. He's going off in one direction, and I, I love those kind of uh, uh, terminologies. But also the uh, the little uh, tablet that they carry around that has sort of a holographic display. Yeah. That's another really. That's been a really cool effect too. How they're able to zoom in on a particular part of the park. There's the large one that's in the the sort of core complex where they can zoom in on a particular area within the entire landscape of the park. And I think that's been really well uh, well executed too. It's so cool seeing that uh, and the way it tracks really perfectly with the handheld device when she's trying to control or, or find out where this character is vectoring to. And can how I in say, the end that character. Yeah, yeah. Have you used the Hololens to do that stuff? In- yeah. Yeah, yeah, like its tracking is spectacularly good, right? Totally. I'm yeah. shocked at how well that tracks. And it's really funny, the the um, people haven't used it. In the HoloLens, you can obviously pull up things at different scales. And so there's a, a fish tank option, effectively. And you can place bits of a fish tank in your room at any scale you like. And then fish start appearing and swimming around your room. And if you've got the HoloLens on, of course, you can see your own room. You can walk over and get a cup of coffee. But as you're walking to pick up your coffee, you know, a fish swims past your nose kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. The only thing I look forward to with the HoloLens that I, I think is maybe in the next gen too is to increase the field of view. Oh, totally. you know, so that it's yeah. so the peripheral vision. Because I've been, I've been uh, just again another, if you don't mind, a brief rat hole. Yeah, sure. I've been teaching a, a class this semester um, 
it's sort of an experimental class. So I'm teaching it with another instructor and it's open to any students in the School of the Arts. And so we have like a bunch of students from photography and film and some students from cinema and kinetic imaging. And it's been really fun. And it's a 360 degree video class. So we bought a bunch of um, Thetas. You know, we have like a dozen Theta cameras and a couple of the the, the dual kit Kodak um, 4K cameras. Yeah. We've got uh, three sets, so six of those. And then we also got one of the GoPro rigs that just came in. Right. And um, so we've been shooting all this stuff and this, we had the students check out some of the equipment and we just give them these kind of um, uh, prompts, you know, and we say like, well, we want you to do this and experiment with this. And we're trying some traditional, I mean, a lot of people I know and Jason Diamond and stuff, I know these guys are in Scott's choirs, like they're already kind of deeply yep. involved and immersed in doing all kinds of stuff. But um, it's been fun with these students because we're, we're sort of exploring um, this technology and these techniques in storytelling, but with a completely different medium where it's like the, the framing devices and the things that you would traditionally consider doing on a traditional cinematic storytelling level don't quite work the same way. But, um, and we're actually, we have a dome theater at our Virginia science oh, museum. Right. We're projecting. So we're having the students projects projected in this IMAX dome. So we're doing a project right now. That's just a, not a 360 project, but a 180 project. And we're just projecting that. Uh, and it's been really interesting seeing what, uh, what comes up and the problems that arise. But, uh, I keep thinking in terms of, we've been doing some stuff with Maya and unity, like doing some stuff, uh, with the 360 video. And it's been really interesting seeing some of the results, but I keep thinking, wow, if we can start to connect some of that 360 immersion, somehow back into things like the hollow lens because we we did hook it up to to an oculus and we've got an htc vibe and so some of that stuff it's it, it's a natural fit but the hollow lens and getting some kind of a an ar in conjunction with a 360 capture i don't know it just seems like there's something there like we're we're on the cusp of kind of um connecting the dots with all those pieces i feel like technologically speaking Look, absolutely. Hey, the conference that I was at last in uh, in LA last week was VR on the lot, and um, mm-hmm. and I was there talking about virtual characters, AI virtual characters, in VR space. So, mm-hmm. because from a cinematic point of view, um, you want to close up on a face when you're telling a story, like any film. Just pick any film, and I literally mean any film. Yep. You want to see the characters, and you want to have them emote, and you want to have a close up that's kind of a you know headshot of the character sure. and and for a lot of the captured vr that is um just video that's now the theater i think is great and if you i think this week they came out with even a cheaper version of the theater it doesn't have a live output yeah yeah i saw that it's otherwise yeah. identical so that's really good and i think that's a great way into vr but it it doesn't interact with you because of course it's a filmed yep. um dome uh, sort of a sphere around you that's great to look at but thing that look at you um at uh, at uh, the VR conference, we were talking about characters and stuff. Anyway, one of the things that they had there was, and I've put a story about this on FX Guide, was the um, epic demo of uh, Robo Recall. Now, oh right, right. This was using Oculus Connect, and um, it was uh, how can I put this? I, I put it on thinking, you know what, I'm going to experience this because you know I talk about this stuff at conferences and I write about it, and I need to you know experience it firsthand. 
but it's quite a queue of people here and I've been waiting for a really long time. It's a bit rude to hold everybody up as much as being, you know, the case. Sure. So what I'm going to do, I'll just do like for three or four minutes. Quite frankly, also I'm thinking to myself, I'm not having, I'm not, I don't have a voice of God in my head. So it wasn't quite as literal as this, but I'm also thinking to myself, I've never played anything that I wanted to hang around in for more than about three minutes, right? So I'm looking at my watch and thinking, yeah, three minutes, I'm, I'm out of here kind of thing. So I put on Robo Recall, which ties back in, of course, with, you know, what we're talking about with Westworld. Yeah, yeah. A bunch of robots walking around. And I am, if you haven't played it, I am the, um, uh, in the quality support, quality, yeah, I'm going to say the customer support. Um, quality yeah. assurance or something. Yeah, or? but I'm trying to remember that's mm-hmm. in what he's in in Westworld, right? The guy that goes out in episode three. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, yep. they go wrong and I'm taken off the call bank effectively and told to go recall the robots. Is this sounding familiar to episode three? I mean, when you go out, yeah, yeah. of course, it's it's very funny. You just shoot them, right? And I mean, you just shoot them and shoot them and shoot them as they keep coming. And then <laughs> giant robots come and you, call, if you succeed, you shoot them to a point you can take them over. And now you control a mega robot walking around the streets of wherever using its mega cannons to blast not just one or two robots, but, you know, vast amounts of them. And it may sound like um, this is, uh, you know, like zombie attack, but it isn't. Um, it's very cool. And I swear to God, after 10 minutes when my demo was up, I'm like, I need to buy this now. And it wasn't, it's not available for oh, sale. That's so cool. the beginning of next year, but it is the most immersive. And it's because it has the hand controllers. So, of course, you know, you can see your hands yeah. in the space and you can interact. You can grab a robot and rip its limbs off. And, and I'm ripping all these limbs off and having a ball. It isn't, of course, until I'm watching Westworld that I start thinking, now, now Seymour, this hypocrisy of you talking about how you treat avatars when, when you sure, happily sure. spent 10 minutes in LA ripping robots uh, to pieces. Um, yeah. And my own hypocrisy on, on how much I enjoy doing that and whether or not if presented with um, you know, the temptations of Westworld, I would uh, be as ethical as I claim to be is a, is a hard question. But anyway, my only defense is these things are very uh, unemotive in terms of facial uh, characteristics. <laughs> right. And I haven't immune them with much uh, character or personality. They are just lethal killing machines and also a bit like the, um, you know, the... Uh, well, well, that gets into like one other thing that's actually really, really interesting that we haven't totally touched upon. We mentioned it, but the... The the idea that the man in black character, the Ed Harris character, he's he's like a gamer, right? Yeah. I mean, in the end, that's that's his thing. It's like he's a gamer. He's a hardcore gamer too. Like, and he's he's trying to figure out and solve the puzzle and like, you know, whatever, get to the deeper level of the game, which maybe isn't in the end meant for him. Which will maybe be one of the most interesting yeah, uh, aspects he's not a of robot. the narrative. It's not meant for him, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. But, but it's so interesting that as a gamer, like he's yep. he's piecing together these clues and putting these things together and he's he's sort of marveling at the you know programmatic uh emotions or the um the uh ingratiating schemes of the of the uh, hosts in the park like when he drags the one guy who he saves from being hanged, he drags that one guy back to his village where there's his you know, his wife Cousins. and daughter and yeah. kills the daughter in order to like reach this. And, and and as soon as he does it, what's so interesting is the daughter becomes very Android-like in her communication, right? She, she relinquishes the information and she's no longer emotional about the loss of her, you know, quote unquote mother and 
I don't know. This, so there's definitely some really interesting things going on, but the the game part of it, like I mean, you're describing a game that you played, right, where you're killing or capturing these robots or whatever, and you know that's a big part of the story too. That's really interesting. Another meta level on which this this series functions is a sort of a commentary on on games and on gaming and what that gaming, the positives and negatives maybe too, and the 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 fun part of it, but also kind of the potentially grotesque underbelly too of some gaming uh, aspects yeah. like now, you know, so Grand Theft Auto. I was going to say Grand Theft Auto, right? Like, I mean, if yeah. if we were to use that analogy, he is a master gamer in in the evolution of Grand Theft Auto, which, you know, has prostitutes and uh, yeah, a you, world you can you explore. Hit the prostitute with the baseball bat and take the money, and you know, I mean, it's pretty so, grim, right? But in in this world, would there be people willing to pay money to watch the man in black play the game because he's just so good at it, and that he'd be a yeah, hero maybe yeah, he's like an ML, he's he's a major league gamer, MLG yeah. man. <laughs> um, and is it any better to go into Call Ops, uh, you know, um, Call of Duty Black Ops, and sort of yeah, kill yeah. people? Is that any more morally valid or invalid? Being a, uh, a an assassin in Hitman Two, is that any better or worse than? Well, it's uh, such an interesting question, right? Like, what's the controller? Like the controller in in uh, you know Black Ops or whatever, or some Call of Duty game, right? The controller is the the joystick, or or you know potentially in the game you played, it's the hand controls yeah. and the VR headset. But in this world, the controller is you. You are the controller, right? And the and the avatars and the game world is the is the park and the the you know the frenemies or whatever that you're sort of engaging with within the game world are just the they're the hosts. Yeah, you know what's the difference really? It's just it it's functioning on a micro macro kind of again another meta level. You know, it's it's really interesting. I mean, it's so rich. There's that's what's so great about this story is. It's functioning on so many levels, you know. It's fascinating. These, these violent delights have violent ends. <laughs> yep, totally. Um, just a couple of uh, weird things that I didn't know if you noticed. Did you notice that, or did you know that um, Elon Musk, who I think I've told people before on this podcast, I admire greatly for his contributions to humanity. Sure. His, his ex-wife is one of the droids. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, he tweeted that out in his uh, tweet. Also, I was looking at the guy uh, Ben Barnes I mentioned earlier, who uh, plays the you know lousy um, friend that uh, <laughs> is on the journey that uh, is a hedonistic kind of jerk. Um, and I said we wouldn't hang with him, but I, I felt differently when he was Prince Caspian uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, and I just totally didn't recognize. Oh, him. sure. But um, yeah, that's so funny. I wouldn't have recognized him either. And I, I've got to say. Um, Sweet Dolores, if you actually look at um, uh, it, it's um, Evan Rachel Woods, right? Um, who plays that? Mm -hmm. Even yeah, whatever. I can't remember her name, but I've, I've seen photos of her where she looks so vampy and so like you know, like unsweet and sort of whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, where um, she can look like a like. I mean, what anybody you, you put the right makeup on them, you can make anybody look like a real. Uh, no, totally. You know, kind of a, a but, harlot or whatever. I think she was in, <laughs> I'm going to say The Wrestler. Is that right? Like she was in was some. Was there in that? I think she was in some really, yeah, she was in The Wrestler. That's right. Yeah, she was. I just oh, yeah. checked it. Huh. Um, and uh, uh, Stephanie in The Wrestler. So anyway, it's just there. there's some really great casting. The reason I'm bringing this up. Um, I, don't, I think it's great. Um, Ed Harris, you can't. Anthony Hopkins, obviously they're the headliners. They're just such good actors. We know them so well. But I'm so yeah. I love Ed Harris. He's so great. Oh, he's just genius. 
But I'm so enjoying these other characters, these other um, people, and I particularly enjoy uh, Jeffrey Wright. Oh my God! I just you can't get oh, he's screen always time. good. Isn't he? He's great? always good. I he's like, and he always kind of plays a similar kind of like brainy scientist dude. It seems like in so many movies lately, it's, it's well, always Hunger a similar Games, yeah. kind of dude. Yeah, but he's he's wonderful. I think he's just like a he's such a great actor and always so charismatic when he's on screen. There's something about him; it's hard to take your eyes off of him. Wasn't he? Like he's even in the Bond a, films, when he was, um, you know, totally, Felix, he was he just commanded more attention on screen than theoretically the script warranted. Like he was just yep. bankrolling, you know, uh, 007. And I still was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. He won't do the bad thing on your Bond. He's a good guy. Hey, one other one other thing I was going to mention too, effects wise, like the last thing I as we're talking, I sort of am playing over all these things in my head. But the other thing that I think is so great, and uh, it's um, the uh, opening title sequence with the horse oh, and the female, yeah. like half finished printed character on the half finished printed like animated horse, like firing the gun, and I feel like that's so beautiful. It looks a lot like. Um, uh, a high tech version of the uh, the White Walkers in uh, Game of Thrones, almost. You know, it has that same kind of vibe about it. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. That opening title sequence is just a cracker. Um, it's I, really, really beautiful. I'm trying to look up. I did have who the opening title sequence was by. It was. Um, uh, I'll see if I can get it while we're talking. But um, yeah, they are. It's great work, and uh, and the the and then the, the last thing that I one other theory that I heard, which is just a a total joke, but it's so funny. Um, somebody was, uh, talking about it. I think it was on another podcast I was listening to. It might've been cord killers or something like that. And, uh, they were goofing on about Westworld. And one of the things, one of the guys said, I think was, he said, Westworld is actually, uh, cause in the original movie, there's Rome world and medieval yeah. world. And they were saying that Westworld is actually the HBO master show. And because what it's really doing is, they're eventually going to weave it together with the HBO series Rome and they're going to weave it together with the medieval world, which is Game of Thrones. And then they made the joke that like, and they're eventually going to bring back and have the final season of Deadwood in Westworld, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought, wow, no, that's crazy. But like, that would almost be kind of rad. It would be like the, you know, Marvel universe, uh, <laughs> you know, they start bringing all these disparate shows together. But anyway. I'd love to see Ian McShane come back as a uh, as an android. And <laughs> That's genius. Um, I think it's um, Elastic TV who did the uh, title sequence. I don't know it was. Um, hmm. And uh, yeah, they where did, where are they located? Uh, Let's say I'm going to get that for you. But um, they you'll remember those guys because they did the amazing title sequences for that um, Night Manager. Yeah. Oh I'm really? Sure yeah, that. that was great with all the like. The bullets and the ammo and the yeah yeah that was a great one that was a very Bond like opening and this one's a little bit less you know kind of Bond but it's very um, that's a big thing right now it's like every show uh, has a has a great opening title sequence or or is attempting to there's so many really neat um, companies out there that are doing really a, a pretty amazing visual design work to so create this kind in of Santa Monica. Um, oh, cool. reps, reps on the east coast and we're sorry the west coast and stuff and they do stuff with um uh area 52 and uh, uh the editing company um rock paper scissors but yeah um they do it's just, great work and like oh, beautiful assets for that opening totally. scene and great animation i mean it's really really something 
Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's um, it's gorgeous work, and you know what? It sets the tone so well, and I'm so glad that they did it with a horse because it was sort of obvious to do it with a robot. yeah. Um, yep. And the horse is just totally agree. terrific. And then, of course, you don't then need to have a a lot of time. I was interested in the original one, seventy three. There's actually a shot where they're walking through the kind of behind the scenes, and there's a dog lying there on its side and a horse on the table. So they mm-hmm. had you know robotic horses and dogs in the first one in behind the scenes stuff. But um, yeah, it makes it so nice that the horses and everything that you see in the show, you just realise even before the rattlesnake sequence that everything's. Um, uh, being you know, produced <laughs> by the guys. No yeah. animals were harmed in the making of Westworld. <laughs> yeah, and um, and the other thing I haven't we haven't really touched on, I don't think, is um, Jonathan Nolan. So it's uh, Christopher Nolan's. Um, oh brother, right. right, yeah. And Lisa Joy, it's so great that there's a woman uh, in such a senior role as a. And I've heard rumor that she may be tapped to do uh, work on a um, if they get it up a uh, Battlestar Galactica feature film. And that would just be spectacular. Huh. I would, I would buy tickets to that before anything else. So, um, in fact, you can follow her on uh, on Twitter if you do a search on uh, Lisa Joy. Now um, I got to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I, yeah, I, I'd be a little. I, I mean, I would go see it too. But I just, I, I so love the Ronald D. Moore reboot of uh, mm. Battlestar Galactica. I can't help but wonder if um, what are they going to do? What are they going to do that's different? I guess there's a lot you could do, but. I don't know. I, 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 I'm not ready for that one to become cheesy yet. You know? the, um, <laughs> by the way, I, I looked up, Lisa didn't actually say they haven't named what that substance is, the, the milk stuff that you were talking about. They haven't given yeah. it a name, the, the white translucent liquid stuff. It doesn't have a name. Mm-hmm. Um, they just thought it was cool kind of milky, gluey-like substance that would be great. Uh, and well, it's, like, it's, that, like a- it's like ash and alien or something, you know. Well, they wanted the contrast between the dirt and dust and grime outside and something that was clean and, and you know, sort of very um, antiseptic in the uh, behind-the-scenes sequence. So I do love that jumping between those mm. two worlds. I, I really – sometimes in those things I feel like one of those is a more interesting story and I want to just stay with that. But in this, I, I don't. I'm very happy when I've got exploration in the Westworld and I'm very happy when we've got Bernard sitting uh, – Bernard sitting down – behind the scenes talking to Dolores. Yeah, there was maybe one or two moments, I think in the second episode where um, I can't remember the name of the female scientist that's having the, seems to be having a relationship with the, the Bernard character. Yeah. I don't She's sort of a little, a little bit older, like yeah. uh, you know, maybe like late forties, early fifties or something. And uh, there was one scene where they, I think they go up, outside and they're having a cigarette or something and they're standing outside on the balcony of the structure and and uh it was or maybe she's talking to the guy who's writing the stories too that could have been part of it and but it it was real like a lot of adr like you could tell it was it was like they didn't quite get the sound on the day and stuff and it was like kind of one like sort of low production value moment where like the conversation too felt really Scripted wise, it felt kind of a little stiff, like it just didn't come. Maybe it was the ADR with the the dialogue, but it just it didn't come off as being. So it was the one one moment in uh, three episodes where I was like, yeah, you know, where I, it kind of pulled me out of it a little bit. But other than that, so the head of the thing that you're talking about, like, um, is the Danish actress. I just totally didn't. Even, I spaced on this. Um, that did, um, uh, you know, the show. What was it? Um, 
think it was a, we we watched it with subtitles. It was so good. In um, she played the organ, the head of um, uh, like it's a you know a realistic drama of, of uh, she becomes the prime minister and stuff. And um, and it, she's great. But yeah, um, her character. What's it called? So there's a Bo- TV show. Borgen? Yeah, Borgen. It's, so it's spelled uh, B O R G E N, and it's basically no. a non-sensationalist. Um, story of a woman who becomes the head of, um, you know, like she becomes prime minister and she's just how she runs her cabinet and stuff. And so she has everyday problems. It's a completely non-sci-fi, completely normal, hmm. but great, just sort of, you know, piece of Scandinavian television. Well, I'll have to see if I can find that here. I don't know if that's available in the US. But but I think her character's name is Teresa or Teresa or something like that. Yeah. Teresa Cullen, I think. It is. I mean, she's not a bad actor. I just thought that, I just remember that one scene where they're standing out there and it sounded like the, the dialogue was like recorded at another time because uh, yeah. it, it didn't quite have the same ambient sound of the environment. Although I think that whole environment probably is just a green screen and they're, they're, yeah. it's all just a, a set extension. Nolan directed the first episode. Um, of what, whatever it was that's in the distance. Just, but this wasn't the first episode, was it? You're talking about? It was in the second episode. I think, I think it was the, I think it was the second episode. But yeah, I, all I can think of was when I saw that it was uh, – uh, Nolan, uh, the brother of uh, your favorite, I, I couldn't help but think like, well, I hope we don't wind up with so many dialogue scenes where everything is explained to us before oh, it's shown God. to us. Hey, what, what do you think of the name of the titles of the shows? Like the original is the first one, Chestnut, which makes not a lot of sense for the second one. The Stray makes a lot of sense for the third one. And one coming up this week yeah. is Dissonance Theory, which, you know, obviously I love. Um but we've got, yeah. we've got no, I mean, I up think... like Trace Decay. And then, I'm not going to say, well, you can look it up, but the name of the tenth yeah. ep. Don't tell me. The name spoiler of the tenth alert. ep is major spoiler alert. So don't look oh, up don't, the, yeah, don't, don't look up don't the tenth ep title. You <laughs> dig kind of deep, but if you do, it'll, um, it's major. Endgame. Yeah, endgame. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not called And They All Die. I will give you that. It's cleverer <laughs> than that. Um, it's been great talking oh, cool. to you. Uh, Matt. Yeah, uh, this is really fun. I mean, it's too bad we couldn't get uh, Jason or one of the other guys on here too, but I have to say it's been kind of fun just you and me chatting. I hope it, it works well uh, in the context for the, the listeners. <laughs> yes, yes, tremendously. And uh, we're obviously having more coming up. Um, there's a lot of uh, films. We actually tried having a couple um, uh, false starts for some episodes you never heard. Um, but yes, we'll... <laughs> I was determined to do this one. I just love it so much, just as you probably can tell, guys, from listening to it. Yeah, me too. um, Obviously, you know, um, yes, (laughs) I was going to say hell is empty and all the devils are here. (laughs) But as you and I are here, hell is empty and uh, and we're the only ones that aren't the devils. But um, (laughs) hey, uh, as we always like to do each week, if you want to catch up with what you're doing outside of the podcast, where can they go? Yeah, you can always find me on Twitter. I'm at Matt Wallen. Uh, it's uh, M-A-T-T-W-A-L-L-I-N. And uh, for everything else, uh, I've got my website, mattwallen.com. And I'm just this year uh, busy as can be at um, Virginia Commonwealth University School of the Arts in Richmond, Virginia. And of course, I'm Mike Seymour over on Twitter, or you can find me at FX Guide or FXPhD. On um, FX Guide, I've got some stories actually coming up on uh, AI as I kind of uh, weave some of the actual tech because uh, AI itself is just a huge area for visual effects. And um, we've already talked a little bit about deep learning and some of the other things that have already affected parts of visual effects, but it's going to turn everything on its ear. And 
and already is from self-driving cars. I don't know if you saw that one, Matt, with um, the Tesla that you call on your iPhone, it drives up to your house, you get in, it drives you to work, and then it leaves you at the front door and goes off and finds its own park. And uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I want one of those. These issues will be it, I think, in a different form, or different issues that we're going to um, have to uh, to take it out. But yes, if you haven't seen the show, obviously we've now spoiled it for you or perhaps encourage you to see it. But I don't think we're over. We may have to, Matt, revisit this after episode 10. We'll just see in a special mm-hmm. encore edition. But look, uh, thanks guys so much for being with us. And I say, if all of our theories were blown out in episode four, you'll have already heard me at the beginning or you're about to now hear me <laughs> jump on with a, uh, uh, an, uh, an additional uh, clarification. Otherwise, until next time, I'm Mike Seymour. Thanks guys. See ya. Well, as I predicted in the uh, podcast with Matt and the recording that we did earlier, there would in fact be episode four and I just jump on to give you um, an update <laughs> to uh, update uh, for those of you that have seen Dissonance Theory. The good news is it won't be very long because I don't think Dissonance Theory actually um, changed our theories or changed our kind of uh, view. It gave us more information, but in a sense, it also let us catch our breath in episode four. Obviously, there's a whole kind of God complex thing going on with uh, Dr. Ford, hence his uh, in the beginning line. Obviously, he was uh, saying in the beginning um, when we first set up the uh, the uh, environment, blah, blah, blah. But of course, uh, the in the beginning line is, of course, the first line of the Bible. In the beginning, God created uh, heaven and earth. And so clearly his God complex is coming into play. The question is, if he's God, uh, what does that tell us about anybody else? The good news is it sort of reinforces the view that the man in black is not, in fact, Arnold, because he's looking for Arnold and he knows who Arnold is. It also reinforces the man in black is not a a, uh, host. If he was, uh, he wouldn't be there. Plus, also... It reinforces uh, our theory that, uh, in fact, the maze is some kind of key left by Arnold, who, again, seems good. Not much to uh, add other than uh, Bernard may or may not be a host, and obviously uh, Dr. Ford looks at him very interestingly in that conversation taking place on the uh, moment when he stops time. But all of this and more will be uh, reviewed and caught up with, as I'm sure Matt and I may have to revisit this after the 10th and final uh, episode in this current series. And I don't know if I said it before, but good news, they're already talking about the second series. Um, Please check out the show notes on FX Guide. We've got a lot of the theories there, um, samples, uh, links to the web pages and stuff. So if you want to go exploring, uh, we've even got um, some sort of, I don't know, We'd call them Easter eggs, I guess, from inside the website about uh, Arnold and also about the, uh, the map of the uh, hub and uh, the various layers that happened inside the cliff face as to where the various arrivals of the monorail are and the archives and the livestock management, etc. That plus um, all of uh, crazy theories, including Matt's one, which I have to say is my favourite theory of all, the, uh, the mega HBO theory. But all of that is uh, there. Thank you so much for listening to this week's uh, VFX show, we really appreciate it. And on behalf of Matt and myself and all the rest of the team here at FX Guide, <laughs> we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks, guys. Bye. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright FX Guide, LLC.